Stand with me, and I'm going to read our text for today, which is in 2 John. I'm reading verse 4 through 6. We talked a little bit about verse 4 last week. We're going to double dip on verse 4 this week and do 5 and 6 as well. This is God's word, 2 John, verse 4 through 6. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. Um, This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful that you revealed yourself to us in your creation. Um, We can see that there is a creator, a master designer, who spoke and the world leapt into existence. And uh, all of us are without excuse when it comes to the knowledge that there is a God. We are not Him, but we need Him desperately. We have chosen to rebel. We have chosen to walk in our own way. We have chosen to make ourselves or something else God. And that has caused us to, to have a separation from You that was only bridged through Jesus Christ, the Son. I pray today that as we hear from your word, that your Holy Spirit, for those who who know Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would speak truth to their heart, would encourage them to walk in the way that they were commanded to walk, and that we would love one another in truth as we study this text. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. So we're doing a series in October in 2nd and 3rd John. We did 1st John some time ago, so we're doing 2nd and 3rd John. Two very short letters. We're going to hit those in five weeks. Uh, just doing three verses this morning. And these two letters, I believe, um, are a great introduction to the essence of what Christianity is about. Um, you might ask, why are we going through this? It seems pretty simple, pretty basic. Uh, my feeling, and I think many people would agree, is... We, even as the church, have a tendency to want to change a little bit here, a little bit there, to walk in our own way, to make ourselves the interpreters of Scripture instead of having Scripture interpret us. And I think one of the biggest ways that we do that is in the area of love, which we're going to talk about today. But this is the essence of Christianity. And I would say that the the two or three verses we're going to look at today uh, are, are some of the most poignant verses. That's why we're only doing a couple of them. And this particular letter, Second John and Third John, is an address by John to the church because there was some slippage in the basics. Some slippage in the basics. Uh, we're going to talk about that today. So this is the big question that we're going to answer today. What is love? What is love? It's going to be the big question that we answer today. Um, we could spend an eternity and will spend an eternity understanding the depth and breadth of God's love. But if you were to ask some people what love is, you might go to um, some atheists. There's two famous ones, Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins. As you know, atheism starts with a belief that there is no God. If you think about that statement, there is no God. Uh, by default, you're saying there is a God, but you're saying that there is not an opportunity for you to believe in him. I'll, I'll get to some of that in, in a little bit. But an atheist does not believe that there is a God. They say that there is nothing but matter and chance. And through matter and chance, we have evolved. We have gone from a a big pile of goo into people who can, 
you know, play football relatively well um, or read a book or have an understanding of how particular things in science works. That's how atheists believe that the world came into existence, matter and chance. So when it comes to the question of what is love, an atheist and these two atheists, um, hard to read uh, them sometimes in, in this regard because they don't talk about love much. They talk about science a lot. They talk about what they can see in, in the world a lot. But they don't talk about love. But if you were to pin them down, they would say this. Love is a product of human evolution. So the pile of goo that has now become a human, human being has not only evolved physically, but has evolved emotionally and intellectually and created something that is called love that we tend to feel or tend to try to understand. But it is always changing because evolution is a changing process that we can't really understand where love is going, but we can understand maybe where it is now because we have evolved as human beings and we have this word called love, this experience called love. So uh, love is a product of human evolution. They would also say that love, because of that human evolution, is whatever you define it to be, or more importantly, it's whatever society defines it to be for you. So love is a societal evolutionary piece that we have come together as a society, as a culture, as human beings and civilization. We have a societal definition of what love is. But because, again, there is no God and we came from a pile of goo, that could change. And you can imagine, um, if you think of you know, World War II, Nazi Germany, society at that time said love was something that maybe we wouldn't say it is today, correct? So it can change. According to an atheist, according to an evolutionist, love is whatever you define it to be, or more importantly, whatever society defines it to be for you. What about paganism? Why are we talking about paganism? Any pagans in the house? Don't raise your hand. Um, there are pagans in the house. Um, believe it or not, uh, paganism is in, uh, on the rise in our culture. I would say that paganism has always been a part of our culture because Romans chapter 1 defines paganism as worshiping a created thing instead of the creator. If you do that, you're a pagan. Um, not an insult, just a reality, okay? If you are worshiping something other than the living God, the creator of the universe, and you're worshiping something that he created, you are a pagan. And paganism is actually on the rise in our culture. A pagan would say that love is acceptance through ritual. You read about paganism, especially in the northern European areas before Christianity came. God invaded that area and started to build his kingdom. And his kingdom will prevail. His church will prevail. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, but in that northern European area, you would see a lot of rituals to try and get acceptance from whatever paganistic god, the god of thunder, the god of water, the god of the fish that swim in the sea, the god of the sea himself, you would go through a ritual to try and receive acceptance from that god. And so that god wouldn't punish you or that god would give you some sort of favor, maybe a, a better journey across the ocean or maybe a better, more richer, fuller life with more material goods. Whatever it is, it was acceptance through ritual. It was also, according to pagans, and um, I would say this is more appropriate for our kind of paganism that we see, uh, paganism is personal gratification through altruism towards others. You might look at a, a lot of the good things, the good quote-unquote good deeds that go on in the world around us, 
and you see people doing these good deeds and you think, oh man, that's really a great deed. And that's exactly what a lot of us want others to feel. I do these great things. And because in paganism, you worship something that is created rather than the creator, you're kind of worshiping yourself, drawing attention to yourself for the good deeds that you've done. Look at how great I am. That, that is a personal gratification through altruism towards others. So we can do good things under the guise of a more paganistic idea, and we can call that love. Pagans, and really this is um, for sure something that would uh, describe paganism in the sense of, of how it exists in our culture. Paganism, love is sensual gratification received and given solely based on what philosophers would call the material. Okay? The Greeks had this idea that there was the spiritual realm and the material realm, and never did those two meet. Um, that you were constantly trying to say to the material, I don't want anything a part of you. I want to advance into a higher spiritual state. Well, a pagan would go the other way and say, you know, all I know is the material. All I know is the sensual gratification that I can feel um, through, through the activities of sex or power or control and i get sensual gratification received and i can give sensual gratification that is what love is that's the basics and only uh thing that i know love to be and then of course we know from history that paganism love is a myth it is a story it cannot be defined and cannot be experienced or felt some pagans believe that as well then you have this group of people this is probably a bigger group of people, and they're related to the paganistic idea of what love is. But secularists, if you ask them, what is love? Secularists used to be called humanists, meaning that as a human and corporately as human beings, we can rise to the level of advanced um, intellect, advanced understanding of the cosmos, and we together can supplant this idea of God. You know, what, what's really funny about all of us, and I would throw myself into this, this category, is we never have anything new. You know, this has been around for a while. If you remember the story of the Tower of Babel, that all those people thought, hey, let's build this tower. Um, we want to become like God. We want to be the people that build this great tower and so we can supplant this idea of God. Secularism is just a newer version of that. And a secularist would say this, love is undefinable, but I know what it is when I feel it or see it. Now, in my notes, I have question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. I didn't want to be too rude, uh, but that just doesn't make any sense. If love is undefinable, then it is undefinable. But how can you know what it is when you feel it or see it if it is undefinable? Crazy crazy the word of god likes to cut through the crazy um i have a, a friend who who just recently said this saying and I, maybe some of you have heard this but i was telling him about a situation that i was involved in and i was trying to figure it out and i just couldn't figure it out and his comment to me was hey brother you can't fix crazy you can't fix crazy crazy is what crazy is now that is true right up to the point where you get to the word of God and the power of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit working in the human life. They can fix crazy and the word of God fixes the crazy ideas that we have about love. So love is eternal. 
Love is eternal. That's going to be the first thing that, that we talk about. Now, John, in this letter, is writing this letter to a single mom and to the church that she is a part of. And he explains to us in the passage that we're going to look at today what love is according to Christianity. This is not my understanding of what love is. I fall short of understanding this in its full understanding. I'm trying to get there, but this is what the Bible, this is what Christianity says love is. Not my opinion, not my words, but what God says through his word it is. And he says first in verse 5, love is eternal. Love is eternal. He says in here that love is from the beginning. Let me read, um, and and I would bounce back to verse 4 because he says to this single mom, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. We talked about that last week, and we were talking about how the fact that love is very practical and it works itself down into generations. If you don't think the next generation is important, if you don't think your children are important to build into And to, as Deuteronomy says, to raise them and to guide them as they walk along and point them to the truth of who God is. Wow, are you sorely mistaken? But love is a practical thing that flows itself out down through generations. And John says to this woman, hey, your kids are great. They're walking in the truth just as they were commanded by the Father. And then he says this, and now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning. Okay? Love is eternal it is from the beginning this is what that means you and i don't get to define what it is we can't make it up as we go along we can't feel it in the places that we want to feel it or or define it by just the way we feel about it love is from the beginning and it has a definition it has a a truth to it that we are to understand not try to create does that make sense Just like God is from the beginning, we cannot create God. He is already there. He created us. He was there from the beginning. And so love is eternal. It is from the beginning. It was around before you and me or the existence of the world. So John in this passage is saying to this single mom, this woman in the church and to the church at large, that he has told them from the start, hey, there is this thing, this commandment that we're to love one another. Whose words were those, by the way? Jesus. Is Jesus eternal? Absolutely. Okay? So he's saying, I told you from the beginning that you are to love one another. I also know that love is from the beginning. So there's a dual meaning in what he says here from the beginning. He is saying that he has told them from the start and that love has existed all the way back to the beginning. Simple truth. This means that love is encapsulated in God and love has been revealed to us by God. God defines love. No matter how many smart human beings you get in a room, they do not get to determine what love really is. God created it. God encapsulates it. God speaks its definition to us. We do not get to make it up. We do not get to change it. He defines love. And if you want to know what love is, then you go to the source of the man or to the God who has spoken to us what it is. And you go to how he has revealed it to us. How has he revealed it to us? In his scriptures. So as God's created beings, this is the point of this. 
We intrinsically know what love is, but we fight against it. The whole story of the gospel, the good news of the creation, fall, redemption, and restoration of all things back to God is rooted in our intrinsic understanding of what love is because he created us, but we have fought against it. We have rebelled against it. That's the story of the gospel, God's glory and love being revealed, and we have rejected it wholesale to chase after other false ideas of love. And folks, John says, and he's speaking to Christians, by the way, you tend to forget. You and I tend to forget what love truly is. If we miss out on what love truly is, we will miss out on what the mission of the church is because we will not understand the God that we serve. So John's words are are a little bit of a warning to this poor single mom in the church that she's a part of. Hey, you guys need to understand that love is from the beginning and you are commanded to love one another from the beginning and you and I have intrinsically known what it is, but we have fought against it. Now, the fight against it, the rejection of it wholesale to chase after other false ideas of love is idolatry. Fancy word, easy meaning. Idolatry is a false worship. It's giving your affection, your desire, your followership, your dedication, your attention to something other than the creator of the universe. Our rebellion against God then is rooted in our rebellion against his truth about love. I wish I could spend like a long sermon series on that particular statement that our rebellion against God and folks, the rebellion against God isn't just out there. Okay. It's not outside of the walls of the church. It has always been and will always be until Jesus comes back inside the walls of the church. That's why John is writing these letters to the church to correct them. Because as we see next week, they're being deceived. They're being deceived. We can become deceived and it's rooted in our rebellion against his truth about the way he defines love. We'll get to that here in a moment. Another part of verse five, he goes on um, to say this, that, uh, excuse me, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning. And this is the commandment that we have had from the beginning that we love one another, loving one another. And he's talking in specific context here of Christians loving other followers of Christ. Okay. We're to love people outside of the walls of the church, outside the family of God. But he's speaking specifically about we are to love as followers of Christ, one another. That is a commandment. It is not optional. This isn't something that you get to say, you know, I'll get to that maybe when when I'm ready. These are the words of Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. He says this, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Notice, he didn't say a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as you feel you should love one another. He puts the definition right here in these words. You should love as I have loved you. 
We're going to talk about what that means here at the end of our time. Loving one another is not an option. It is a commandment. Christians are to love one another. And now, most Christians believe this. Let's do a survey. How many Christians in this room believe that we're to love one another? Go ahead, raise your hand. 100%. Good job. Most Christians believe this. This is the problem. We have created areas in the life of the church where we want to express the obedience to this command, but many of those areas aren't rooted in the truth. So this is what it could mean. You could have a city group ministry in your church, which is our version of small groups. We have that in our church. And you could root that in a desire to obey the command of Jesus to love one another, but it's not rooted in the church, uh, excuse me, rooted in the truth of Jesus where he says, love one another as I have loved you. So when we get together in our city groups, if it's just um, a meaningless exercise without any uh, grit of scripture uh, attached to it and and inside of it, the truth of God inside of it, we are not doing what God has asked us to do. We are loving one another in the way we have determined we should do it instead of the way Jesus has said it should be done. Many times we love one another and try to obey that command and it's rooted in a definition of love that is not God's definition of love. I'm building a case, by the way. I'm going to tell you what I believe. According to this passage, God says love is in a, in, in a moment. But I'm building the case. For us, especially in our culture... Love is rooted more in the feeling of things rather than in the truth of who God is and what he has done for us. I don't know where we're at in the history of the church. This might just be like another, you know, season in the history of the church. I kind of have a feeling and I, you know, I'm not wise enough probably to discern this, but I have a feeling that the church is on the verge of another reformation. And it's, it's, it's going to be rooted in this question. Uh, and it's a hard question for the church, I believe, in a pre-Christian era to answer. Is our love going to be founded in feeling or in fact and truth about who God is and what He's done for us? That's the, that's the direction that the church is going to go. It's going to go one of two places. It's going to go Founded in feeling or founded in fact and truth of who God is and what he has done for us. Now, this boils itself down to a very individual level. And this is the question that I would ask of you. Is your relationship with God currently founded in your feelings about him? Or your worship of who he is as revealed to us in his word and in his creation? I think a lot of us have come to Jesus wanting our feelings to be uh, magnified or or made better or, or healed instead of coming to God because of who He is and what He's done for us. That, that's not rooted then in a, in a feeling per se, but this is a, a truth that I learned in college. You never put your faith in feelings. Like two weeks ago, I had a great feeling we were going to win our 
football game. Man, and I put some faith in those feelings. We got clobbered. We got destroyed. I don't even know if we even played that game. I'm still trying to figure out if, this, if it was just like a ghost team out there not even trying. I can put my faith in all sorts of feelings every single day. But this is the truth that I learned in college. You never put your faith in feelings. You put your faith in the facts and the truth of who God is. And this is what happens. Your feelings will follow. You got issues with how you feel about the world and relationships and and all the anxieties and worries and stresses of life. It might be because your faith is in feelings rather than in the facts and truth of who God is and what he's done for us. It's a much more stable place. Jesus says, and remember, he's the definer of love. He says that we should love each other as he has loved us. He's the one who told us the parable about the house built on the sand and the house built on the rock. Sand, the passing feelings of the day. Rock, the truth of who God is. If you want to love as a Christian is to love and is commanded to love, you will seek to understand God's truth and his commandments, which leads us to verse six. Let me read it for you. This is verse six. And I'm starting to get to the age where I need a giant print Bible. Andy, would you make sure you remind me of that? Verse six. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments This is the commandment just have you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. Boom. Definition of love. Right there it is. Isn't that easy? It isn't easy in the sense that it's easy to believe and easy to understand and easy to do. But here it is, John, short letter to a single mom and the church that she's a part of, the church that he's writing to, he defines love for us and he says this, love one another, he says Jesus loved us, that's how we should love one another, and then he says this definition, love is walking according to his commandments. The language here used by John in his original, uh, the Greek that he wrote this in, the language here presents a definition of love. Other words means this, love equals, quote unquote, we walk according to his commandments. Christians are loving when they are walking according to his commandments. Who is his? It's Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator of the universe. He is part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He made all things. His commandments are are the rule, not the exception. They are to be followed, not to be managed or discussed or debated. If you want to love as Christ loved us and to love one another as Christ loved us, then you are going to walk according to his commandments. Jesus spoke perfect truth. Jesus said, if you love God, you will obey what he tells you to do. Now, in all of this, there is this connection of love, obedience, and worship. And why is that connected? Because this is the question that each of us have to, have to wrestle with in our life. You were created to worship. Period. It isn't optional. You were created to worship and you will worship something or someone in this life. 
You will love it. You will obey it. And you will worship it. And most of the time, I would say maybe all of the time, you are loving you. You are obeying you. And you are worshiping you. And that is why John says love is walking not according to your commandments, your thinking, your ideas. It's walking according to the commandments of Jesus Christ. We walk according to his commandments. That is love. This is another way to say it. The perfect loving son of God who died for you says love and obedience of him is the best way. He tells that to the church. He tells this to the single mom in this passage. And he's telling it to us a couple of thousand years later. Christians are loving when they are walking according to his commandments. Now, one of the things that is attached to this and the understanding uh, when you read this, Christians not only are loving each other when they're walking according to his commandments, they are loving the world when they walk according to his commandments. Let me say that again. Christians are loving the world when they walk. People, the other people that are not mentioned here, the, the, the non-followers of Jesus Christ, that's what I mean when I say the world. We are loving the world when we are walking according to his commandments. So let me ask this question. Why in the world would the church not want to talk about those commandments? Why in the world would the church not care if we disobey those commandments? Why in the world would the church uh, feel it's our prerogative and we have the ability to redefine those commandments? That's not loving the world. That's not loving yourself. And when we do that, we are actually hating the world. And when God says love is walking according to his commandments, he's basically saying this is what separates Christians and separates is not a bad word, by the way. It's the same word that's used for sanctification or holiness. Okay, same derivative of words, all of that. We are becoming holy or whole when we walk according to the commandments of Christ. That that is what we are called to do. That is our missionary posture to the world not redefining god's truth christians are loving the world when they walk according to his commandments now the word walk or walking is used three times in just these short few verses walking in jesus commandments what what does that really look like it means this and we said this last week you live and look like a christian as defined by the revealed commandments of God. You live and you look like a Christian as defined by the revealed commandments of God. Might be surprising to you, but Jesus walked around like a Christian. Right? Some of you got that. Thank you, Andy. We spend way too much time together. Jesus walked around like a Christian. And when 
John says we are to walk according to his commandments. We are to walk around. It's the best word that you can use to describe in every area of life you are to look like and live like a follower of Christ. And when you do that, you are truly loving. And when you are truly loving, you are basically walking according to his commandments. It's, it's logical. We are called to follow him, to walk around like him. And this is what's really interesting, and this is where we'll end today, and we'll jump into communion maybe a little early. We can't do it. We can't do it. I've tried. Um, you know, I've, I've tried to do all the things that we do. Excuse me on the mic. I, I've tried to do all the things that Christians try to do to live like and look like Jesus Christ under my own power. And we can't do it. Only through Jesus' imputed righteousness to us. Imputed is a fancy word that instead of seeing our unrighteousness, God sees Jesus giving His righteousness to us. So that no matter who you are or what you have done, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are walking around like Jesus Christ because His righteousness has been imputed to you. Now that doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want. Imagine the power of that and how that changes your perspective on living like and looking like Jesus Christ. But not only did he impute his righteousness to you, his Holy Spirit has empowered you to truly love. His Holy Spirit has given you the power to obey what Jesus said and you will look like Jesus because the Holy Spirit is empowering you to obey the commandments that he's given us. Now, when we look like Jesus and we love like Jesus and we follow Jesus' commandments, we are looking like the most loving man who ever treaded dirt. Like, he's the one, right? Like, you can look at me and maybe we have a personality conflict, which is very rare. I have those with only one or two people in the whole planet. You might not like my choice of words. You might not like my, you know, Old Navy sweater. I'm not liking it right now either. It's way too hot. It's not sweater weather. You might even follow me around and say, that doesn't look very loving. It isn't me. It isn't you who is the standard of what love is. Can anybody in this room or on this planet tell me, eye to eye, mano y mano, that Jesus was not a loving person. Can you tell me that? There's no way. You look at the historical record of his life and what he said. But more importantly, look at what he did. He followed the Father's command to come to this earth. He gave up heaven to be on this planet. He ministered to people. He healed them of their sicknesses. He told them the truth. And sometimes, folks, it was hard. But guess what? Hard words produce soft hearts. That is God's design for you as a follower of Christ. Then it says, He set His face on Jerusalem, meaning He committed Himself 
to go to a cross, be tortured, tried and convicted in a kangaroo court, hung on a cross to die, buried and rose again. He is truly the most loving man who ever treaded dirt. We're to look like him. We can't do it on our own, only under the power of the Holy Spirit, only through the imputed righteousness of Christ can we even hope to be remotely called a follower of Jesus. But we're still called to do it. And love is not a feeling. It is walking according to the commandments of Jesus Christ. Now you think you are loving... But I would ask you, as you come to the communion table, be honest with God. Are you loving that way? I know you might do great service projects in the city. You might um, you know, have, have great altruistic intentions. Would you check your heart just a little bit and say, is that for me? Am I doing those things so that people will look at me and say, man, that guy's good. Look how much he serves. Look how much he gives. Or is it possible that you don't understand what love is because you are not walking according to His commandments? You think you are loving, but you might not be. And the hope of the table, the hope of communion, the hope of Jesus Christ is that He wants to rescue you. He truly loves you. And if you receive and believe for the first time, you can come to the table no matter who you are. And you can begin to walk according to the commandments of Jesus Christ. For those of you Christians who come to the table week after week and you got it dialed in and you're loving because you do a lot of great things here and there, but you're not walking according to His commandments, the first thing that you might want to follow, the first commandment, is to confess your sins. Come clean with God. He knows. David, when he writes about his confession of sin in, in Psalm 51, he, he says, God, you already know. You're everywhere all at once. You can see everything. You are God after all. You see my stuff. He wants you to admit it because in the admission, you are saying, I am not God. You are. You're committing to following him and putting him where he rightly deserves as Lord and leader of your life. Let's pray. Lord, I of all people am the chief of sinners when it comes to not being loving as you have defined it, as you have created it to be. So I, I stand before you and confess that I haven't loved as you have loved. There'd be no way in and of myself that I would be able to humbly accept a death on a cross, a torture, conviction in a kangaroo court on behalf of anybody else. But you did it for me. You did it for all of us. You did it for 
what you say love is, that you would obey God's command for you to die, to rise again so that we might have life in you. So God, convict us of where we fall short of what your love truly is and the commandments that we are breaking on a daily, minute-by-minute basis. Convict us of those. Help us to receive your Holy Spirit's power to overcome the, the sin that destroys our soul. May we fight it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may we truly love because the world needs to see what it truly looks like. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.